Hello and welcome to Curiosity Killed the Cat. I am Sarah and thank you for joining me for this episode. The first thing we're going to get started off with today is going to be a series of villains. I'm going to tell you all about my favorite villains and why I've been so curious about them. And we're going to do a couple little deep dives and as I was doing that deep diving I just got into so much research about so many different of my different villains that I decided let's just make one big full episode about the villains and continue some of them over into the regular full-length episode of the week and so we are going to start off with um We've got some good ones here that I started off with. We have Lord Voldemort in this episode, Scar, the Joker, Bill from Kill Bill, and to top it all off, we have Maleficent at the end. And so the next episode, I'm going to continue off with Jamie Lannister, Red from Us, Magneto from X-Men, Hela from Thor, and Darth Vader from Star Wars. As well, uh along with Starth Sidious and a little Kylo Ren. Um, And then the rest of the episode is going to contain a little recap review of the cult movie of the week, which is going to be My Girl. And we also have the Pussycat of the Week, who's going to be Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, The research into her has been super fun. Started following her on Instagram, and I am just a huge fucking fan. And talking to some friends and family about her, just everybody's got a nice, good attitude about her. So she is just a, she's just a wonderful gem. So we're going to be getting into her in the next episode. So let's go ahead and get kicked off with some villains. Okay? Okay. Have you ever watched a movie, read a story, and found yourself going from kind of being on the hero side of it, if there is one, um, finding yourself not identifying with, but maybe empathizing or sympathizing with the villain a little bit? Maybe they have a few points that drive a little too close to home in some of their big, long monologues that a lot of these villains are known for. Um, it's a curious, it's a curious little feeling. And I've come to find out that throughout my life and a lot of the stories that I've come across, there have been plenty of villains that have sparked the hell out of my curiosity that I definitely wanted to know more about. Um, as far as backstory, is there a reasoning why they became a certain way? Um, are they the type of villain that can change? Are they the type of villain that can play the good and the bad side of the coin? Are they the type of villain that swims in a pool of gray? Or the type of the villain that just sees very black and white views of the world? Uh, is it a villain that is just an enigma? You can't really figure out what their motivation is or why they became the way they came. And um, there's certain villains that you go, okay, I see exactly when when this happened and why and how this person wasn't able to come back from the dark side, if you will. So some of these villains are going to include Lord Voldemort. That's one of the big ones for me. Darth Vader, Darth Sidious, a little uh, Kylo Ren splashed in there. 
I want to get into Scar from The Lion King um, because he's a he's one of my favorite Disney villains of all time and just kind of like a badass but like not a badass because he kills his brother and he tries to kill his fucking nephew and actually he's pretty he's pretty awful. I think it's called fratricide when you kill your brother. I'm gonna have to double check that. I'll ask my research assistant get a right on top of it bros. Next one's gonna be Magneto. Um in the comic book world, besides the Joker, who I'm about to get into next, Magneto is probably one of my absolute favorites. Um, watching the movies in the early 2000s, Ian McKellen was like, oh, hey, what's this fucking guy doing in this movie? And he absolutely made my eyes wide to his performance. He was so charismatic. He was so almost justified in his reasoning for being on the side that he was um he's definitely the type of villain that is black and white you know he his view was mutants versus humans that's it there's no there's no in between so you're either on that side or you know you side with the humans which in his mind are the villains which in every story every movie that tends to be the case sometimes people are even aren't even classified as the villain but um, they're in the background, and they are. Um, next guy, Joker. An enigma. In the new movie, we see a little bit of a backstory, but we also don't see that much of a backstory because do we have a reliable narrator? Are we having some Patrick Bateman moments in this film? Um, you know, he's got some American Psycho esque type qualities that I think um well maybe that's the reason why I like American Psycho so much he's kind of like a Joker-esque character and like you don't really know what it is they want there's a chaotic energy there but um you know what's the end game what's the end goal is there one I don't know so anyways Joker big question mark around him um another one of my favorite Disney villains is Maleficent um the cartoons, uh, or the cartoons, the actual cartoon, um, is one of the most beautifully illustrated, I think, animation, uh, animated movies of all time. The music in it's beautiful, and they were one of, like, the earliest movies to, like, really, I mean, Snow White's kind of dark. I mean, the evil queen in that is pretty fucking dark. She turns into an old lady, gives her a fucking poison apple, and that's pretty sketchy. Um, but Maleficent turned into a fucking dragon, you know, like she didn't turn into some withered old lady and was like, please eat this apple again, which is freaky enough. Maleficent turned into a fire breathing dragon. You know, she was a Targaryen before the Targaryens were even fucking here. She was a black fire Targaryen. And if you watch Game of Thrones, no, if you read A Song of Ice and Fire, then you'll understand the black fire reference that I just made. Um... If I start getting into Game of Thrones, I'm never going to stop. Oh my god, it's a segue into Jamie Lannister, the most um, misunderstood villain of all time. Um, he's the obvious golden, blonde, you know, Dra- Draco Malfoy-esque, like, silver spoon fucking guy um, that pops up in so many different stories. And we see everything in the beginning of these stories of the show and the books of, like, Ned Stark, who's the most honorable, noble, you know, noble and honorable to a fault, um, unfortunately, for Ned and his head. Um, uh, you know, so we see Jamie Lannister through his eyes, and Ned Stark found Jamie Lannister perched, as he 
recalls on the Iron Throne, the day King's Landing got sacked with uh, King Aerys dead by his hand, and that was it. Um, but Jamie also kind of like was like, okay, Ned, you want the throne? Go ahead and have it. Like he was just like this l- lion on this chair who just sees this wolf walk in the door. The lion doesn't want to sit on the chair. He just wants to get the fuck off and move along his merry way and offers the wolf a seat. But the wolf sees something different entirely. He sees a lion keeping this throne warm for the rest of his fucking den to come marching through the doors. Um, And that's the first cast that we get of Jamie Lannister. And he is under that cast literally for the first what is it? Bran is the first chapter in the Game of Thrones. And by the end of that chapter, he's has the damn kid pushed out of a goddamn window or not that chapter, but by the end of, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I mean? By the end of at some point, the poor kid gets pushed out the fucking window. He shouldn't have been climbing. His mom told him not to, but Jamie, Cersei, see him. They got to do something. He pushes them down and that furthers furthers the view this villainous filter of him because what kind of a monster would push a child out of a window and so what's fascinating about Jamie um I told you once I start talking Game of Thrones I don't stop so we see Jamie go from this just like yucky entitled pushing kids out of a window kind of a mother effer and throughout the stories you know, in the show, the stories does it a little more justice. We start to see why he did the things that he did. Now him pushing Bran out of the window was the most, this like the worst thing that he did. And you can't even justify that in any sort of a manner other than like he, you know, he's protecting his family over another family, which, mm, you know, that's kind of gross. That kind of gets icky. And I don't like that mentality at all. Like yours over mine. Ew. So anyways, um, we go back and we see why Jamie killed the Mad King. We see why he was, you know, sitting on the throne. We see how he went from having this reputation as a kingslayer, um, you know, killing the king to get his, his family and future brother-in-law on the throne to a man who had to break one of his highest vows, his his the biggest vow he's ever taken in his life. He has to take the Mad King's life because he knows the minute people come marching in, the Mad King's going to snap his fingers and basically nuke all of King's Landing. And Jamie knew that. And Jamie was like, well, I don't really care about these people, but I'd rather not see all of them die and rather see this fucking old psychopath die. So he makes a, he makes a decision, sticks by it, and he lets his reputation become what it becomes. And he becomes a villain in the Seven Kingdoms. Some people high, hold him in high regard, but a lot of people talk behind his back, call him a kingslayer, call him a vow breaker. And anyways, we'll, uh, we'll, maybe we'll come back to him. We might be finished with him after this, this statement. Um, I'd like to get a little bit into Bill from Kill Bill and a little bit about um, Hela from Thor Ragnarok. I'm not into the comic books, so I can't get into her whole origin story or whatever. I just thought she was super fucking cool. She had validated um, 
daddy and sister issues she got locked up at a little age because their father was afraid of her powers and kind of knew there was this prophecy that she'd come back and the whole planet would be destroyed asgard i know what the name of the planet is so i can at least get that out there and thor loki have to try to figure shit out after she basically kills their dad or after their dad just like fades off into the sunset she shows up she's like head bitch in charge she's like i'm your big sister you've never met me and they're like what and she's like yeah dad put me in prison when before you guys even knew i existed and they were just like their minds are blown they gotta like get their shit together thor gets his hammer fucking smashed and um it's a good one it's a fucking wild ride i didn't even see the second thor but i saw this one i was like hell yeah i'm gonna watch ragnarok so hella all right, you guys. So I'm going to go back to Lord Voldemort. He is a very, very big one for me. And uh, we're going to get into, um, um, you know, where he came from, who his parents are, why love is the biggest issue for him, why he can't understand it, why he can't feel it, why he can't give it, and um, why, therefore, he sees no power or use in it. And that was his biggest mistake. I'd like to give an honorable mention um, in the world of villains to the villains of the cult movie of the week, and that would be bees. Um, here in the real world, we like to keep them safe, keep their population big and booming, but when it comes to the movie My Girl and our boy Thomas J, um, bees can fucking go kick rocks for all I care. Not so good in My Girl not so good at all. Total fucking supervillains. Don't like it. So speaking of supervillains, I'm going to get started with Lord Voldemort because he is everything a villain should be. Um, he could be a little bit of kind of like a catty little fuck boy, but, um, like most villains, his MO is kind of like, let's just like conquer this death thing, like screw the world let's conquer death. Like I want to live forever. What is, what is having the world if you can't have it forever? So his whole journey from, uh, you know, showing up at Hogwarts, you know, attaining dark art power and leveling up as he fucking goes along. Oh, I'm doing that thing again where I'm saying the F word a lot and I'm going to try to stop, but a girl can only do what a girl can do. Um, anyways, back to it. Voldemort, his mission is to defeat death. And even from a young age, he starts this really dark, um, twisted path in order to do it. And he goes about any means he can do so in order to get that. Um, but before we get to that journey, we're going to start with part one. We're going to start with, um, a sad, a sad girl sad girl I'm a sad girl this is Lana Del Rey to infinity and beyond okay Voldemort's mother was this sad little witch named Merope and she was born to a basically abusive father and brother who lived fucking in super poverty <clears throat> and um they were the last descendants of Salazar Slytherin in case anybody's wondering what universe Voldemort comes from, 
that would be Harry Potter. I'm sorry I didn't state that before, but in case you're new and you've been living under several rocks piled on top of your brain for the last two decades, it's Harry Potter. Lord Voldemort, a.k.a. Tom Riddle, is from Harry Potter. Moving on. Merope, thought to be a squib. Her powers are basically diminished because she lives in such a hellish environment. She's got no room to grow. She's sad. I believe she might even fucking be cross-eyed. Poor dear. Poor, poor dear. So, anyways, um, one day this, like, lovely, nice little social worker of a fucking wizard shows up to try to, like, you know, check in on the fam and do some wizard business. And <clears throat> there's a big accident. Merope is eventually left to her own devices, and um, throughout the years, she developed quite a little crush on the handsome neighbor next door, Tom Riddle Sr. Well, at this time, I believe he's just Tom Riddle. Um, so, needless to say, she is desperately in love with him. Of course, he's a muggle. He doesn't even, like, fucking give two sh- shits about this neighbor that they have. And, um, she gets him one day with the love potion. She gets that magic working. She's using her passion. She's just, like, feeling the love. She's like Donna Summer in that song. I feel love. I can keep that going because it's one of the best disco songs ever. Actually, it's probably the best disco song, in my opinion. Anyways... Next week, curious about disco. Uh, no, not really, but that's actually a good topic and we'll save it for a rainy day. Um, the only villain in the disco world was pff, drugs and drugs and big dark rooms with shiny mirror balls. Anyways, off subject, um, back to Voldemort. His mother whips up this delicious little love potion And she starts giving it to the neighbor next door. She gets him to fall in love with her against his will. She basically drugs his drink. She does an unforgivable act. And she's tempted to do it once. And she does it again. And she does it again. And she does it again. Eventually, she gets pregnant. Then they're living together. She starts to feel really bad about what she's doing. And she believes that... At this point, he has to love her. She stops giving him the potion. Of course, he does not really, he doesn't actually love her. Um, And he runs away. She's pregnant with this child. And when she gives birth, she literally just loses the will to go on. And Tom Riddle is um, born into an orphanage, Tom Riddle Jr. And things just go batshit. Horcrux status crazy from there. So a couple years down the road, Dumbledore picks him up, brings his dark little ass to Hogwarts, and a few years down the road from that, next thing you know, little Riddle opens up the Chamber of Secrets. A couple more years later, he's asking Slughorn for freaking Horcrux information. The poor deer never stood a chance. He just opens his big blabby mouth, doesn't know what he's doing. He gives the kid, the creepy ass kid, the information. And from there on out, Lord Lord Voldemort, Tom Riddle, has figured out how to conquer death. He is born into this world with a mother 
and a father who had no love for each other, which happens, you know, every day, actually, when you think about it. But it was under circumstances to where in this world, in Harry Potter, if a child is conceived under a love potion where you've got one person who is actually in love with the other, but the other person is not physically capable of consenting to this relationship. Therefore, their body is being held hostage. It's being taken advantage of, and it's resulting in a pregnancy that they did not consent to. Therefore, in Harry Potter land, the child is cursed to be born without the knowledge of love without knowing the power of love without able to without being able to give it without being able to receive it and it is something that Voldemort can never fully understand he underestimates it to his own detriment he dies because he cannot understand love and that is fucking awesome that is what dreams and nightmares are made of that is a beautiful twist in the evil versus dark versus whatever fucking you know in the world of good and bad to have a to have a villain who you know doesn't feel love anymore because he's been jaded by it or because he's been spurned it is because he was born without the capability so did he ever stand a chance I'm letting you think about that right now. Um, you know, I actually have never really thought about that. Did did Tom Riddle ever stand a chance? Is that why his his mom just couldn't couldn't hold on because she knew that she was she was cursing this poor child into a world where he could not even feel the warm blanket of love, and therefore, you know. <laughs> He's just this cold, dark, fearful, sad. He is sad. That's why that's why Dumbledore tells Harry, you know? That's just he's a sad creature. But pity the living, you know? Don't pity the dead. So anyways, um, yeah, so Voldemort, dude, he's a he's man, he's a good one. That's why Harry gets him. He couldn't understand Harry's mother's love for him. You know, he, he he basically said the girl did not have to die in regards to Harry's mom when he was a baby. You know, he cast her aside not knowing that she was going to leave this everlasting, you know, just power of love on her child. So that way he can physically touch him for years and years and years and years. Um Yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff, dude. He just... Could you imagine not even understanding what love even is? It's so sad. It's really sad. I don't feel bad for him. I mean, I feel bad that he was born into this into this world with a... You know, under those sad circumstances. But, you know, one unforgivable thing after the other, after the other, after the other makes you a villain. So, moving on. Now... I could go into Darth Vader, Darth Sidious, but I went into a huge monologue about freaking Voldemort. So I'm going to move on to somebody a little bit quicker. Ooh, let's talk about Scar from The Lion King. This one right here, he is not an enigma. 
he has his reasons for being uh, a villain. He has reason to be a, you know, petty <clears throat> second in line to the throne character. But the thing is, is throughout history and time and stories, there's always the second brother. There's always the second in line, third in line, fourth in line. And that's just how it is. But for some reason, you've always have like a Loki-esque type figure that wants it all to themselves, that believe they're the one entitled, that the person in charge is not doing it right and only they can do it right. And they, by whatever means they need to use, they are going to, they're going to get to that throne no matter what it takes. And so Scar, as we all know, hatches up just like the most, just like pretty batshit crazy like conspiracy theory plan I mean this is like some tinfoil hat like let's round up the hyenas and make a herd and let's put Simba out there Mufasa will come there's so many different ins and outs what have you's and factors that go into this like plan that he has to like become the king of the pride lands that um <clears throat> George R.R. R. Martin couldn't even come up with this like level of conspiracy and layering in in Game of Thrones I'm sorry a song of ice and fire um but yeah everything goes well his plan works he gets his throne he gets to fill his belly hang out with his hyenas he got all the ladies to himself he's got all the fucking hunting ground Simba's gone but like why though you know he is still a bit of an enigma because why do some of these second in line characters every now and then feel like they are the ones that they are the only ones that are going to be able to do it and they go through these just awful awful means to get there i i don't i don't know it's really got me thinking scars a really really good one it's like, just let Mufasa do it, dude. Like, you're you're cool. You go off. You go have a couple chicks. Have a couple little cubs yourself, you know? Like, or if you don't want to have kids, don't have kids. It's your, your body, your choice, fucking Scar. There you go. It's a lion's right to choose. Um, so, anyways, I hope I left, I hope I left you all with some thoughtful Scar things to think about. Moving on. Do you agree that Clark Kent was Superman's critique on humanity? Well, Bill did from Kill Bill. And Bill, sadly, had to die. But before he did, he took a few names. One of those names he tried to take was Beatrix Kiddo. You don't do that. You don't fuck around with Uma Thurman, okay? If she wants to freaking find out she's pregnant with your baby and just, like, leave in the dead of the night and, like, semi-frame her death so she could, like, start a new life in the middle of Texas at a record store with a guy named Tommy, I guess she's entitled to do that. But I will say that gives you plenty of justification and motivation to track her down, shoot her down, and 
get your baby back. Complicated. That is a complicated, gray, swirly-whirly area. Um, But what I will... (sighs) Bill, his origin story... We can't even, like, really get into that. There's, like, one guy that, like, Beatrix finds in, like, the middle of Mexico who, like, sort of mentored Bill a little bit when he was younger. And that's kind of all we get about him. So what I want to kind of get into about Bill, good old Bill, is when he finally um, comes back together with Beatrix when these two... These two people finally are in the same room and their daughter is safe and sound and Beatrix is safe and sound and Bill is sitting there with his truth serum dart gun that he just shot into uh, Beatrix's, what is he, I think he gets her right in the thigh. Um, I can't remember the leg, but he sits her down, he starts going through things and he tries to explain to her that... um, Superman in the world of Superman that Clark Kent with the glasses and the you know hair you know maybe just shoveled and the you know thrown together clothes um this meek sort of personification um was a his view of humanity um I think that was beautifully written by Quentin Tarantino. I'm a big fan, and I always have been, and I love every movie that he does before I even see it, so um, I can be a little bit biased sometimes, but um, that is one of the greatest things that like he ever kind of brought to the forefront there was that sort of um, take on it, and what makes it even cooler is that Bill explains to Beatrix Kiddo that when she tried to start this new identity in this little town, you know, try to make this simple little life, it was um, on the same level as Superman trying to, you know, come down several levels to try to reach a a humanity, you know, reach humanity to reach the human race. Um, And it's just pretty cool. And it just kind of shows you really um, how much he, I think he really thought of her, how much he cared of her. Um, He, I, you know, I don't, they were fucking an assassination squad. So things are just like really messed up anyways. But it seemed like he really loved her and that they had like this, you know, I don't know, way older dude, younger girl, protege type mentor relationship that was romantic clearly she got pregnant with his baby but she makes the motherly decision (laughs) I'm not going to ever fault her for this um when she finds out that she's pregnant um she talks about this little blue strip and before it was on there things were different and as soon as she found out that she was pregnant that she she had no choice but to Clark Kent herself into that type of existence for the safety of her child and I mean beyond just herself solely just for her kid she knew that this baby couldn't end up being Bill's child so that brings me back to the question I was going to ask if Beatrix Uma Thurman is the Superman Clark Kent character in this who is Bill is Bill like Lex Luthor is Bill 
kryptonite? Is Bill a black hole in the universe that is just like sucks things in it from time to time? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think he... I don't know. He is kind of kryptonite to her. I mean, she loves the hell out of him, but she doesn't necessarily fall apart. She does her five-point heart tech fucking move, and she gets him. Spoiler alert. But is he this Lex Luthor behind the scenes, strings and all... I don't know. I don't think so. I think Bill is more of a kryptonite. I think people around him are taken by him and they try to be their best selves, but he can always get to the weakest part of everybody um, in his inner circles. His The women in this assassination squad, he's got his brother. Um, you know, I, yeah, maybe I think Bill's more of a kryptonite. So that's where I wanted to go with Bill. I'm going to keep that um, a little bit short. I'm not going to get too much into that. But um, yeah, I don't know. You think about that. What do you, who do you think it, Bill is in this, this Superman layering of the story? Um, is he just, is he just the freaking, is he Lois? <laughs> is he the Lois in the story? Um <laughs> Okay, it's late. It's late and I'm just I'm laughing at myself and I'm by myself and if I'm going to do that, I might as well get into the Joker, but I'm going to need to take a miniature break before I do that. So, um yeah, transition time. Ha ha ha. Joker coming up next. I must say when it comes to the Joker, I've been pretty spoiled. My whole entire life, I have had the most beautiful, rich, vibrant displays and portrayals of the Joker that you could ever possibly imagine. Now, if you're older than me or younger than me, you could be like, what are you talking about, Sarah? I know all the Jokers that you know about. Sure. Okay, I bet you do. That's fine. That's fair. Um, but come along with me right now on my little journey. Um, the Joker was one of the first villains that made me curious to know more about them. Um, the heroes are always fucking cool. We love them. We need them. They are the heroes for a reason. But, um, you know, some of them just make you really curious you just need to know more and you don't know why and you don't know how you're going to get that information especially some older movies really held on to some of these bad guy things like real close to the chest it was really hard to even get like sometimes the writers directors to even give little golden nuggets of information about these characters but um the joker where do you even start the first one I remember, Jack Nicholson and Tim Burton's Batman falling in to that bright-ass green freaking chemical tank coming out the way he did. The way he looked when he had just the nude makeup on, even without, like, the clown makeup, was pure 
perfection. Um, Jack Nicholson is everything that the Joker should be. And I'm going to say that about every single person who's ever played the Joker. But, um, you know, when you're a little kid and that's the first one you get when you're literally like three, four years old and you're watching these on VHS. Um, you know, I was born in 1987. So I literally like that was my first Joker. And Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton was my Batman. So when I grew up and people I heard that like people were like, oh, no, not Michael Keaton. He can't be Batman. I just thought that was so funny because I was like, that's my Batman, dude. Um, And Jack Nicholson was my Joker. And. And that movie, the way they have him as this more corporate, um, you know, sort of like you know uh there's one more guy that's like higher up than him in this in this like you know crooked oh my god I don't even I don't even know what the fuck business that they're even freaking running in this giant building or whatever that they're in in Gotham City but anyways um you know he ends up becoming the number one the number one fucking bad dude whatever and uh he comes back after he after he gets dropped into this vat of like chemical acid after he comes back as as you know the joker and he looks cool again it is getting a little late and it's been a long week i'm sure it has been for everybody so i sympathize and i empathize and i'm not fading i'm getting stronger i've got coffee we're good we're getting through this, okay? We're getting through this just like the Joker got through that giant neon green, slimy, but also super like liquidy, like thin liquidy um, vat of chemicals. We're going to get out of that smiling, smiling, honey. Um, so yeah, he comes back into the fucking building and he's got this like trick little thing on his hand and he goes and he shakes like the head guys in charge's hand and he freaking fries him to like a crisp and that part was always super scary and super cool but the coolest thing about this joker you guys is that when he goes home his girlfriend is jerry hall aka one of the best supermodels of all time aka probably gonna be a pussycat of the week at some point because she is an american texan treasure i don't know why i have like sometimes i get really prideful about america for some reason and um i love we all love a good tall strong blonde texan and anyways she's in this movie and she is chic as fuck okay and that's like his girl you know so she's like sets like the stage for like him okay she's cold she's icy she's bitchy she's got like elsa vibes okay and he does something to her he fucking disfigures like her face which is like super sad and not cool and she has like a mask on and then like towards the end of the movie passengers like basinger whatever the fuck it is um like sees her without it she's like ah but the coolest part about this joker is when he wants kim he sends her this mask he gets all joe goldberg if you've seen you you know what i'm talking about he sends her like a present so he can save her and he gasses everybody else in this fucking museum restaurant wherever it is that they're at 
and he comes in with his whole crew of people and this like cloud of like green smoke and he's got a boombox plane and it's busting out prints and they are like spray painting all the art and like causing all of this chaos because chaos is a ladder in his fucking world and he is climbing it to the top but what is the top where is the top what is the top of the ladder for the joker for jack nicholson's joker he really just wanted to get batman but he also wanted to get the girl he doesn't get batman so we move on a few years down the road you think i'm gonna get to heath ledger i'm not getting to him yet we're not there yet i'm talking about Batman, the cartoon. I think it was on the WB back when the WB was still around. Um, and that was when we were first introduced to Harley Quinn, a.k.a. another supervillain who's all like super cool. I don't know if she's really a supervillain yet. Maybe, maybe not. But um, as far as the DC world is concerned, their girl villains are like top notch. Um but back to the Joker. Mark Hamill, a.k.a. Luke Skywalker, him fucking self, turned cloak. He voiced the cartoon um, Joker. I think he has in all of the the um, animated films um, as well. I know definitely in The Killing Joke because I watched it and I have that one. Um the only comics that I've ever really dabbled that much into has been the Batman ones. And the Batman um, detective comics are really, really good. And um, yeah, but again, I never paint myself as anybody that knows more than just, uh, you know, pictures on a few pages. Um, but what's cool about um, this animated series was it got a lot of us freaking into the comic book stuff like whereas like I, I didn't like grow up with like a lot of kids that read them too much um in the early 90s even though they were still kind of big um I just didn't have any friends that like read them all that much and so having like this animated series was a gateway into learning about all these fun different villains that have popped up in maybe some of the different movies and again going back to Harley Quinn it gave us Harley Quinn and it gave us a delicious Joker he was more obviously cartoonish no pun intended um Mark Hamill man he just there's this there's something that he just has in his voice. It's a gleefulness. That's what it is. It's a theatric gleefulness. And he just thrives doing the voice work of the Joker so well. And so if you have never seen any of the um, the animated series, it's fucking great. If you haven't seen any um, standalone animated Batman movies, um, they're all pretty great. And uh, Mark Hamill is, is an iconic Joker. And now I'm going to talk about Heath. Heath Ledger played the Joker of the 2000s. There was one Joker and then there was Heath's Joker. Um, and we can all agree that he probably made the biggest splash. A lot of people were like, oh, no, 
again, we can't play him. Every time somebody gets cast in a role, it's like, no, not that guy or not that girl. Um, It's just like so fucking stupid. It's like, just give the person a chance. And if the movie sucks, then the movie sucks. Um, Or if they do bad, then they do bad. Like, there's nothing you can do. You know, you can't just switch somebody else and stick them in there. So... The world had to just sit back and wait for Mr. Heath Ledger to show up on the screen and fucking do the work or show us his work. And one little tidbit here, Heath Ledger and I share the same birthday. We are birthday twins. He's a spirit animal of mine. I feel very connected to him. He's blonde. I'm blonde that's about it. He's from Australia. I'm from America. Not even close. But again, I feel a little connection to dear old Heath Ledger. Back to his Joker. So as soon as the 2000, uh, oh God, when did that movie come out? Oh, nine. Um, as soon as the trailers came out, as soon as the poster came out, people were going, bad shit. No pun intended. Okay, anyways. um, Yeah, I actually started to go batshit. I was ready for it. I thought Batman Begins was like, all right, okay, whatever. But I remember, I think at the very end of the, the movie, they show a, a Joker card. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, my ears perked up. I started looking around at the movie theater. And I was like, did we all just see that? Did we all just see the same little card that had a little Joker, a little jester on it? And me? No, not just me. Everybody. Okay, we all saw it. Okay, cool. And everybody was jacked up on fucking Go-Go Jojo juice. And it was Joker time. It was like, we didn't even we didn't even need to see the movie. We all knew from the second we saw the makeup, we saw him in the trailer. We saw him in the previews. It was a done deal. This man was going to be iconic in this role. And he fucking died before the fucking movie came out. And I have a big fucking problem with actors who pass away right before their movies come out I don't like it it always smells fishy to me and again I'm gonna say this one more time I don't like it and it smells fishy every fucking time okay okay moving on let's actually get into the 2009 Christopher Nolan Heath Ledger Christian Bale Joker Heath and Christian beautiful together chemistry fire chaos and order oil and water perfection when they're both in the freaking um police little cagey thingy together and the lights are off and then they turn the lights on and batman's in front of him and he goes oh man that is (laughs) again what movie dreams are made of that's what action movies are made of it's moments like those that um just make you really happy that whoever was making the movie made the movie and i don't think i don't think we would have gotten the same joker if it wasn't christopher nolan i don't think we would have gotten the same joker if we didn't have christian bale as our batman um all of those things i think needed to come together for Heath to bring this specific Joker. He could have been in any Batman movie with any other actor and he would have done a fucking gnarly crazy job. 
but because of these two factors, because of this director and this is and his straight man, his freaking orderly noble Batman and Christian Bale, this was what was pulled out of him. And it was fantastic. It was electrifying. You couldn't keep your eyes wide enough to see everything that he was doing. The minute you saw that like sad clown mask with the fucking school bus in the bank and the one freaking clown shooting the next clown and then all that's left is freaking all that's left is him on the bus pulling away from the bank after they freaking rob the place and then you're like what are they going to do with all this money and then he burns all the money and then he gets arrested and you're like why would he just get arrested well he meant to get arrested oh who's making a phone call oh there's a phone that's sewn into the guy's belly like his level of chaotic chaotic layering planning um it it, I, it it never makes like it never really makes any sense he wants batman to come at him full speed but he knows he's never gonna do it so it's like you just don't know what makes him tick he's just a clock with never ending batteries and you can't go back he he's literally I'm sorry to make this like stupid sort of analogy, but he's literally a clock. You cannot turn back the hands of time because there's no reliable narration. He tells you in this specific movie, you want to know how I got my scars? Each time the story's fucking different because he's talking to a different person each time. Um, and before I wrap up with his his j- Joker, um, I think one of the most twisted evil things that he does in this movie is what he does with the character of Harvey Dent. He takes somebody who, who knows, maybe at some point Harvey would have corrupted, become corrupt himself. Somebody else maybe could have influenced him. Who knows what would have happened the next day after the next, after the next. But all we know is in this storyline, the Joker is the one to get into Harvey Get those fucking fish hooks in there right as his, right at his most vulnerable, when he knows he's going to be at his most angry, when he knows he's going to be able to be the neck that turns the head. And um, Harvey really just didn't stand a chance once What's-Her-Face got blown up. Rachel Dawes. Got it. Still got it. Um, once Maggie Gyllenhaal goes up in smoke, he's fucking gone. Um... So maybe he already made the turn before the Joker, but hey, come on, that guy fucking homeboy was wearing the nurse's suit, took off his mask and was like, hi, Harvey, and gave him this, he gave him a loaded gun and let him walk out into the fucking world. And, um, yeah, I think in this one, that's probably besides blowing up Rachel and almost blowing up like boats full of people and all the other things that he does. Oh no. You actually, Oh God. Wow. Okay. (laughs) He does so many bad things in this movie. Oh my God. They freaking, they kill the freaking judge. They kill the, they try to kill the commissioner, the mayor. Oh my God. All these people. 
He does some pretty fucked up things. Oh, he has those two guys fight each other. Mm. He plays dead in the body bag. Man, he had so many hijinks. Really, really bad hijinks. I'm surprised this movie actually wasn't rated R. Um, Not to sound like a fuddy-duddy or anything, but I'm going to move on. How do we want to wrap up this Joker? You can't. You just can't. We love you, Heath, and I miss you. Um, Jared Leto, he did great. Good job in that one movie. Moving on. Joaquin Phoenix in Joker. I would say the spirit of Heath was within him. I'm not even joking you. I think the soul of that fucking man came back down to earth and blessed Joaquin Phoenix with fucking the third eye of the Joker. And he just did a fucking bang up job. We're right in the middle of award seasons right now. And he just picked up a SAG award for um, fucking being the Joker. And um, just to go back to Heath real quick, he did end up winning the um, Oscar for playing the Joker, which was amazing because nobody really won anything or ever got nominated for action movies, let alone comic fucking book action movies. So fucking good for him. Um, It was just a bummer um, that, you know, he didn't get to actually experience it. Um, But I remember his family was there and that was really nice. Um, But I think we just might see Joaquin Phoenix um, win best actor for this. Um, Dude. I think Joaquin Phoenix became possessed with the Joker. I think he was haunted by him and he stuck by him for the whole filming of this film and hopefully he was able to get him out when things were all said and done. But um, this Joker is the closest thing to an origin story that we will ever get and is it still uh, reliable Mm, maybe not 100,000%. Um, again, with the Patrick Bateman type deal, um, what did he really experience? What did he make up in his mind? Who was there? Who wasn't there? What is the truth? What's not the truth? Um, and it seems like his environment has a lot to do, had a lot to do with his view and the way he walks through the world. It seems like the environment that he was raised in in the Joker, um, you can tell if his mom was ever giving him the truth or some crazy little lie that, you know, in her poor messed up head that she was dealing with, I don't think she knew what what her truths were and what (laughs) their realities were both just barely hanging on by a thread and once that thread was gone I we don't get any like you can't get any useful um written in stone information about the what's and the why's and the how's um you just see this snowball effect that happens over the course of I think maybe just a couple weeks um 
you see a man that's trying to get help who's seemingly, I don't know, he's got his interests, he's got his job, he's got his life, little, big, whatever you want to call it, and he just kind of gets taken down, and down again, and then down again, and down again, and it's just the story of when you're just hit, and hit, and hit, and hit, what that does to you, what it does to your mind, what it does to your soul, what it does to your fucking view of the people (coughs) in the world and around you, and His dancing in it um, is actually, I thought, was quite beautiful. I thought that was a really cool um, way for him to sort of express these emotions without having to say anything kind of crazy or, I mean, not crazy, but just without having to verbalize it, Um, especially at the end where he had that dance to the song that's always at the fucking football games. There you go. You're welcome. Hopefully that's not copyrighted. Um, but you see this sort of like plateaued kind of a guy who's just day in, day out, same thing, same thing. And then the world starts to turn with getting jumped by the kids by the the escalation of his his relationships at work going um not being good um you know he just has his coworkers but things start to get a little bit uneasy at work between them and he has this severely tragic and complicated and pretty awful relationship with his mom. He takes care of her, but she has got a thing or two going on. She's got a thing or two on her mind. And, um, yeah, the poor dear, the poor dear. He just, again, it's one of those things where it's like, do they really stand a chance? Was there ever going to be another way? Yes, I think there was there always could have been another way and that's what makes villains even more tragic and that's why you can somewhat sympathize and empathize with them sometimes because you feel a combination of I see what happened here I feel for them um then you can also say I see what happened here I I can imagine what it feels like to be them in that situation and to feel those choices that they make and the actions that they make to keep going darker, darker, darker from the light, the light to the light. And so what happens here is one little big thing happens after another, they escalate, they snowball, they accumulate, and he goes from being just this everyday, same routine character, to freaking going down the freaking roller coaster, going back up it. And then by the end of the movie, after this dance that he takes, he is at the peak. He is at the triumphant. He is brought to back by all the juggalos in the street. 
He sees the things happening outside of him and you see the transition into the Joker and I don't give a fuck what you thought about the movie or what you think it means about society today. This movie is about the Joker. It's not about people today. It's about the Joker and it's about us literally watching him go from being Arthur, if that's even his real, real, real name, to becoming Joker, the Joker, the one. And from there on out, folks, chaos is his ladder. And where he chooses to climb, we don't know. But all I know is I brought that all back together. I'm pretty proud of myself. All right. I feel like that's something um, fucking Arthur would say to him at the Joker. Wow. Here we go. That's where I'm at now. That's a long time. That's a long time talking about the Joker, but there was a bunch of different Jokers to get through and to discuss and talk about. And if I left anybody out, um, I'm so sorry, but um, hopefully he pops up in this new one with Robert Pattinson and Colin Farrell and um, Zoe Kravitz. That would be fucking awesome. Um, But I'm going to be moving on. We need to get into the ladies. I'm going to start talking about Maleficent because she is just about my favorite Disney villain of all time. All right. It's only taken an hour to get to the first female on my list. And that's going to be Maleficent. She is a little bit of an enigma because we have two storylines for her. We have the cartoon and we also have the live action film starring Miss Angelina Jolie. Now, growing up, I remember vividly the green face, the purple eyeshadow, the big um, yellow looking eyes, her staff, her long fingers, her that tall body and just her cape and the horns, the striped fucking wrapped horns and the freaking crow raven that followed her around and her transforming into a dragon. So if that's not some wild Game of Thrones shit, again, I'm always bringing it back to Game of Thrones. I'm always going to. It's always going to come back to that or Harry Potter or something. You can count on those ones specifically for sure. So, Miss Maleficent. In the cartoon, we see a king and queen having a nice little first birthday soiree for their party. Pinterest the fuck out. It's all royal. Everybody's there. Everybody's got gifts. Everybody's like bowing down on their knees, a la Godfather style, Corleone like vibes aesthetic going on here okay everybody wants a piece of the pie and so the little fairies you know they come they're doing their thing and you know guess who busts through the door guess who's fashionably late because why should you ever be on time for a party you should be on time for work you should be on time for appointments but when it comes to a party make an entrance okay be a maleficent walk into that place, act like you didn't get invited. Well, she did not get invited. You know she didn't get an invite. Freaking 
postal service doesn't go that far. It doesn't go to like the fairy lands, okay? It stays in the muggle world, okay? There's no owls that get delivered to her. So she comes waltz, like sauntering in, floating in under the cloud of like green smoke. We get lots of green smoke with villains. Pay attention. It happens a lot. So she's mad. She's like, yo, see so you're having this cool little baby party. I may not be a baby person, but I'm sure sure as hell a party person. Can't you tell by my socially winning personality? And so the king and queen are like, I don't really have enough, like, I don't really, like, have enough chicken legs. And I'm not sure if we have any, like, vegan options. We don't even know what you really eat because you're human, but you're not really human. We have some lizards we can fry up for you, but also we don't know if we have any extra seats. So you're going to have to give us a hot minute to assess our situation. So she's like standing there. She's like, well, what are y'all in the middle of like doing right now? And they're like, oh, we're just giving gifts to the baby. And she was like, oh, well, let me go give the baby a nice little gift from her auntie Maleficent. So Aunt Maleficent shows up and she's like the intimidating aunt. She's like the one that like you don't want to make eye contact with because it's like your soul might die if you do. And so she like looks down upon the baby and she's like, you know, how about when she turns 16, if she pokes her finger, she's going to go to sleep and she won't wake up until some asshole who thinks he's in love with her kisses her and wakes her up. So I don't know. That's a weird move. It's a, what do the kids say? Mm, I don't want to say it out loud, but that's like a weird flex for sure. Um, (laughs) I don't even know. I'm not really sure what you do with that. You're you're so mad you didn't get invited to the party and you show up and then you're just like, yeah, man, yeah, when this baby grows up, if she if she pricks her finger, dude, she's she's going to sleep. It's wild. I don't know who wrote this movie or who wrote the screenplay, but um you know, lo and behold, fucking fast forward 16 years later, what is this little Disney princess doing? Walking around the castle, finds a perfect place to fucking prick her finger, looks straight into the needle, touches it with the finger that was prophesized. She was like told not to touch anything. and She touched it. And guess what? She fell asleep. A curse ensued. Everybody's mad. Everybody's like, I oh, know. Well, actually, everybody kind of fell asleep because of the fairies made him go to sleep. But then at some point they wake up. And Maleficent turns into a fucking fire-breathing dragon. And again, I'm going to get into, like, some Targaryen shit. Because if you're a casual show watcher of Game of Thrones, you'll know that, like, Targaryens, they always had dragons. And then eventually all the dragons died out. And then Danny brought them fucking back, okay? Until they killed her off in a fucking horrible twist at the end. Um, but in the books, they explain... That a long, long time ago, back in the old fucking island of fucking old Valyria, where all the Targaryens came from one day, all the people that lived there before, they were all dragon lords and they all rode dragons and had dragons. Well, as like a lot of like the weird magic shit that happens in the Game of Thrones show or whatever, there's weird magic tales from back in the day that the Targaryens came from the dragons that themselves that they could become the dragons um not shape-shifting but like literally like 
evolved or maybe could shapeshift. I don't know what the specifics are. George R. R. Martin did not go into great detail about this, but what I think is really cool is that Maleficent physically turns into this dragon. Um, her body is no more. Um, she gets defeated eventually, but she builds this like crazy, cool, fucking thorny bush maze thing that like the prince has to try to get through. Prince Philip, I believe that's the name of the one in this one. Um, but anyways, she's super duper cool. And I just want to kind of like go on some of the things that I liked that the live action movie did that were sort of similar to this cartoon because this cartoon is probably probably my favorite Disney cartoon especially out of like all the old ones um had some good ones in the 90s growing up but I have to say I just can always go back to Sleeping Beauty so in Maleficent we get this really great, fabulous um, origin story you see where she just wasn't not, you know, she wasn't not invited to a party that this freaking usurper s fucking king um, took her wings, violated her, took advantage of her, took these wings from her. They were the source of her power and he stows them away in the castle. And so when she comes to back to save Aurora rather than in the cartoon where she is just this fire breathing dragon that's just like mad and pissed and you know is like hissing and spitting fire she is coming back to the castle because she has chosen to protect Aurora throughout her life and wants to do everything in her power to make sure that this child girl does not prick her finger on the spindly thing and so um she's spends her whole life um, sort of kind of suffering and trying to make up for this one moment where she sauntered in just like the cartoon, cursed the baby. It's like, you're going to go night when you turn 16. No partying for you, bitch. You're going to poke your finger and you are going to go to sleep. So anyways, um, in the movie, her wings are locked up um, in the castle where Aurora's at and Aurora wakes up eventually. She gets the wings out for um, Maleficent and she gets them back on her. And I can't remember if she turns into the dragon before or after this, but everything that she does is in defense of Aurora and for Aurora and to protect her from her like evil, gross king of a father. And it's really quite beautiful. And that's really kind of sort of the only, you know, differences between the two. Um, but she makes a really great villain, especially in the first one, because she is sort of an enigma. You don't get a whole lot of reasoning as to why she is the way she is. You see that she's like in this, you know, dark castle. She's got all these ghouls surrounding her and she's got her little crow. She's got her, um, staff, her little magical staff. And I don't know, you know, she's just, um, I don't know. She is definitely the queen of her own castle. That's for sure. But, um, when it comes to a good Disney villain, she's pretty dark. She's pretty gnarly. And I, um, at first I wasn't sure if I was going to like the twist on her in the new Maleficent movies. Um, the second one was really cool. Michelle Pfeiffer, spoiler alert, is the villain in that one. Um, she's, don't worry. She starts off as it right away. Like, you know, fucking something's up with this bitch. She smells fishy. 
Um, and it's nice to see Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Angelina Jolie together because I always feel like Angelina Jolie had some Catwoman-esque vibes. She kind of had those crazy Selena Kyle vibes for a while. And, um, yeah, she did a great job as Maleficent. They did a great job with the makeup. Um, she was a great villain in the movie while she was a villain. Um, but also she was always pretty protective. And so you could see in uh, the Maleficent movie, you could definitely see the reasoning as to why she became what she became. And it was nice to see her come back around and have some healing from it. Um, in the cartoon, again, you don't really know why she is the way she is. And that's sort of cool. That's what I was kind of talking about in the beginning of the episode about how some of these older movies just really didn't give in or didn't like, um, go into too many details about, about these certain characters. They kind of left, um, left the details real sparse. And I think they did that on purpose because they wanted you to feel a certain way about these characters. And, um, in the cartoon, you definitely were left with a very strong impression of, um, of Maleficent. So that is my take on Maleficent. All right. So we're going to wrap it up for this episode. We're going to do a part two for the villains. So the next episode is going to be full length. We're going to have the rest of our villains on the list. We still have Magneto. We still have Jamie Lannister. We still have Hela. And we are going to top off this beautiful cake and frosting with the sprinkles, with the fucking... The cherry on top, we will be ending with Darth Vader, Darth Sidious, and I'm going to be talking a little bit about Kylo Ren as well because I just love me a good goddamn Star Wars villain. Okay, they're just like, they're, they're the epitome of a good, good villain, and they're chock full of them, and I want to end the series, this villain series um, that has just gone on and on and on which has been great this has been really fun um I'm gonna end with those two or three um they're just you you can't end with a a better dark crew than those guys right there um so like I said we still have Hela coming up we've got Jamie Lannister we've got Magneto um we've gotten through Voldemort we got through Scar the Joker Bill and we ended up uh topped it off with Maleficent so I think we did pretty damn good and if you made it this far you sailor you um good job old sport moving on next week or if not next week oh my god I'm already it's late it's been long um this next episode that's going to be coming up uh shortly after this is going to be we'll have part two of the villains we're going to have the curious cult movie of the week which is my girl the 1991 movie starring anna chlumsky um, macaulay culkin jamie lee curtis dan Aykroyd. it is a great um young adult child movie um it's great for everybody i rewatched it it was wonderful um i'm gonna have a recap of that and i'm also going to 
have the pussycat of the week which is jamie lee curtis herself i'm going to be getting into the highlights of her life and her career and her just fucking fabulousness so um please join us for part two of this very long very fun episode thanks <laughs>